This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Hello, 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 everyone. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 27 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. And speaking of our franchise's history, another season has sadly been put in the books, although it was a surprisingly exciting one given where we were, and I think Met fans, uh, being at that last game Sunday, when Dom Smith walked it off, I, I sense there's more optimism than I'm used to seeing from Met fans, and that is a, a nice thing to see going into 2020. I I somewhat share that, although there are still the Wilpons, so that does temper my enthusiasm somewhat. But I'm sad not just that another season is over and the Mets are not in the postseason, but in a larger sense that soon we won't have any baseball to watch. And God help us, we could have a Yankee-filled postseason, which I generally just then boycott and don't even watch. There are not a lot of promising teams to root for. I mean, I guess I can hold out vague hope for a Twins-Brewers World Series, but that's probably not happening. I suppose I don't actually hate the Astros or the Dodgers yet for some reason, and that's probably the most exciting matchup from a baseball perspective, so I guess I'll wind up rooting for the chalk in a rare development for me. 
But thinking about the postseason means to me that we should start looking at some postseason-tinged, unfermentable Mets. And I know we're going to do that and roll out some stuff. Uh, the podcasting overlords have some great ideas for October in the offseason. We probably won't be coming to you every week, but we'll definitely come up to you with some specialized, fun content to keep everyone a little, keep the Mets warm in our hearts during the hot stove season. But I wanted to do something about the postseason. As I said, uh, the Mets have only had six playoff appearances since our last World Championship in 1986. And I was thinking, since I'm wistful for the end of the baseball season, which one makes me the most wistful? I won't even touch 1988, since I was barely a teenager and one who bought a bootleg 1988 Mets World Champions t-shirt in the Shea Stadium parking lot prior to Game 3 against the Los Angeles Dodgers, so I really hadn't learned my harsh Mets lessons yet at that point in life. Uh, I still kind of believe that the 1999 team was the best one, the best Met team that I saw since that 80s team. I mean, you had four regulars with an on-base percentage above 385, and that's before you even got to Robin Ventura and Mike Piazza, who were close to that, and drove in all of those people on base. <clears throat> but the 99 team gave me Todd Pratt, they gave me the Grand Slam single, and I don't know if I ever truly believed they would beat the Yankees or the Braves anyway, so I don't uh, don't know that I'm that wistful, as wistful about that team. Uh, 2000 would have aged a lot nicer if we lost to a different team in the World Series, and 2015 was actually a delightful, surprising run for me. Yeah, it is, of course punctuated by, punctured, perhaps I should say, by too many could-have-beens in the late stages of those World Series games. But no, it's really 2006 that was the year that I believe the Mets had the best team in baseball and that they were going to end a bit of a drought in my, in our fandom. And perhaps they would have if they still had one Duaner Sanchez on their postseason roster. Donner Sanchez was born on October 14, 1979, in Cotuí, in the Dominican Republic. In 1996, he graduated from Francisco E. Carvajal High School, and a year later, 1997, he was signed as an amateur free agent, uh, I guess at the age of 17, by the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he began his professional career in their organization in the Dominican Summer League. Sanchez struggled as a starter for three years in the minors before moving to the bullpen in the 2002 season in AA in Arizona, and as can often happen uh, for pitchers struggling for, as starters in the minors, uh, started to take off and actually made it up to the major leagues re- relatively quickly on June 14th of 2002, he made his major league debut and pitched a scoreless inning against the Detroit Tigers. The 22-year-old would only make nine appearances for the Diamondbacks before getting traded to the Pirates in early July for veteran reliever Mike Fetters, which just makes sense as a pre-deadline move. The Diamondbacks, of course, were coming off their 2001 World Championship and seems like a pretty traditional you know, trade of a young reliever with some upside to the struggling Pittsburgh Pirates team for Fetters. The Diamondbacks would win the division that year, but... Uh, get swept in the playoffs in 2002 in the division series by the Cardinals. Uh, Sanchez, me- meanwhile, struggled very badly in Pittsburgh. He-, he spent very little time 
with the Pirates uh, posting poor numbers when he did in both 2002 and 2003. So he was placed on waivers after the 2003 season and picked up by the Dodgers, where he seemed to finally find a home. In 2004 and 2005, Sanchez threw more than 80 innings each season, <clears throat> posting a sub-4 ERA each time. And then in August of 2005, when the Dodgers closer Eric Gagne went down for injury, Sanchez uh, became closer for the first and really the only time in his career, recording eight saves down the stretch. Uh, it looked to me like he went eight for eight, actually, on his save opportunities. I didn't see any blown saves when he wasn't a setup man. There, he had a couple of blown saves early in the year, although he did suffer three losses and late extra inning games at the end of that year when he was substituting as the closer. So Sanchez was 25. He turned 26 during the 2006 season, coming off back-to-back -back solid seasons as a setup man for the Dodgers, uh, eighth inning, and then even showing a, a, the ability to close. So that made him an asset or an attractive asset to try and acquire for a team looking to buoy a bullpen that helped sink a young, burgeoning 2005 team, that of course being the New York Mets. Heading into the 2006 season, the bullpen was clearly a priority as Omar Minaya both signed Billy Wagner to replace the 2005 quote-unquote closer Braden Looper, and he engineered a trade where the Mets sent Tim Hamiluk and Jay Wong So in the 2005 offseason to the Dodgers. The Mets acquired Steve Schmoll and Duaner Sanchez. You always want to make a good first impression with a new team. I think especially when you're coming to New York and our strong-willed fans, opinionated, perhaps quick to get impatient if you don't get off to a good start with our team. And Juaner Sanchez got off to a good start in spades. He pitched 18 scoreless innings in his first 15 games. He didn't surrender a run until May 9th, by which time he made the ERA creep up to 0.41. And he very quickly became Willie Randolph's eighth inning man, eighth inning reliever. A couple of his first outings, he appeared in the seventh inning. Aaron Heilman would appear in the eighth, but he was so efficient and dominant, particularly in that early stretch, that it uh, he quickly became uh, eighth inning pitcher, coming in in the seventh sometimes, because he was someone who was very much capable of going a couple of innings at a clip. Through the end of May, he was 3-0 and with eight holds and a 2.10 ERA, and with he and Wagner really, really solidified the back end of the bullpen for a very good and exciting 2006 Mets team. But fast forward led us to uh, July 28th, when Sanchez pitched the eighth inning and got the hold in a Met victory over the Atlanta Braves at Turner Field, a very standard uh, 2006 game for the Mets. Uh, Pedro Martinez went six, did give up four runs, but got the win. Perpetual Pedro Feliciano uh, pitched a perfect seventh. Donner Sanchez got his 14th hold of the year, pitching a scoreless inning with a walk and two strikeouts, lowering his area to 2.60. Billy Wagner came on for his 21st save. The Mets moved to 61 and 41, 
on the year, and all seemed well with the world as the Mets were coasting, it seemed, towards the postseason. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sanchez had appeared in 49 games at that point in the year. The team was 34-15. and The Mets had a 34-15 and record in games in which he pitched. And he had thrown 55 innings, uh, surrendered 43 hits, 24 walks, 44 strikeouts, had a 2.60 ERA, and uh, was very efficient in that eighth inning role. Mets would close out that series by thumping the Braves twice more, 11 to three and 10 to six. On Sunday, July 30th, they would leave Atlanta to travel to Florida for a series with the Marlins. So the Mets completed their delightful sweep of the Braves and flew to Florida Sunday with a day off Monday to get ready for a series starting Tuesday, August 1st with the Marlins. And all speculation was, of course, about the trade deadline and who the playoff-bound NL East leading Mets might try to acquire to uh, make that playoff push. I tried to research some old articles. I found some stuff in the Times and elsewhere, and... Yeah, the Mets were, you know, probably if there was a weakness for that team, it was the starting rotation, you know, strong offense, strong bullpen, you know, aging starters, Pedro, Glavin, uh, they did pick up El Duque later for, ostensibly for the playoffs, but yeah, there were all these rumors the Mets trying to trade for Jason Schmidt, Roy Oswalt, Barry Zito, uh, those were kind of the the, the rumors that the Mets were trying to get one of those players to bolter, bolster the starting rotation, but those plans got upended in the early hours of July 31st, 2006, as uh, Dwaner Sanchez and his cousin, uh, with the off day on Monday, uh, got a cab late night to go to a Dominican restaurant in Florida, and a drunk driver swerved across multiple lanes and sideswiped the cab Sanchez was in. Uh, the accident separated Sanchez's right shoulder and wound up costing him the season and, who knows, perhaps costing the Mets a world title. The Met front office had a quickly reverse course. Instead of pursuing a starting pitcher, they wanted to fill the gaping hole that Sanchez would leave, and they acquired Roberto Hernandez and, of course, Oliver Perez from the Pirates for Xavier Nady. Obviously, Nady was not the the most important player in that offense, but he was having a really nice season that year. I remember being really sad to see him go. Uh, they kind of plugged that hole with Sean Green, who should have caught that one fly, that one deep fly that Scott Spezio hit in the 2006 
I think game two, but don't get me started on that. So many could have been. Could have had Duan or Sanchez in key situations instead of Aaron Heilman. Well, don't get me started. Like I, I don't get me started on Aaron Heilman either, because I, you know, I'm always amazed that Billy Wagner escapes scapegoating. Uh, he was atrocious in that 2006 NLCS, and I, I'm amazed no one ever points out that we weren't pitching our closer in the ninth inning of a tie game at home in Game 7 because he had an ERA over 9 in that series and was completely unreliable. So uh, that's why Aaron Heilman was left in there for a second inning in Game 7. But who knows, maybe you know, maybe we have Roy Oswalt pitching for us starting a couple of those games instead of, you know... Oliver Perez, and, and I, I was happy when they acquired Ali at the time. I know it's easy to easy to look back and not be happy, but I thought it was an interesting addition. But uh, yeah, maybe we have Oswalt, maybe we have Duan or Sanchez, you know, Heilman pitching in the sixth and seventh. No Guillermo Moda, no heartbreak at the end of the 2006 season. But who's to say, really? For Duan or Sanchez, the accident is even more. Uh, it was much more devastating uh, it, for his for him personally, uh, as it really, if you look at the rest, it really effectively ended his career, sadly, or at least he just never was the same after that. The Mets signed him to a one-year, eight hundred fifty thousand contract in the off-season for the two thousand seven season. However, towards the end of spring training, he suffered a hairline fracture. To a bone in the front of his shoulder, uh, it was technically said that you know, that the injury was unrelated to the first injury. But uh, I've also read speculation from doctors that the accident, the cab accident that separated the shoulder, likely weakened parts of the shoulder and, and thus enabling, thus causing the bone to crack when he started throwing again. So he missed the entire 2007 season with that injury and didn't pitch again for the Mets until 2008. He wasn't quite as effective. Uh, he, he did go 5-1, and one, uh, but this time putting up a 4.32 ERA as opposed to the uh, 2.60 in 2006. He appeared in 66 games, throwing 58 innings, a uh, little less effective, and definitely used in lower leverage situations, especially as the season wore on. He Unlike a lot of the Mets bullpen, I think he, he struggled a lot early. He actually was a little little better down the stretch. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of our bullpen in 2008 was not, and that's why that is not one of our postseason years. Um, but that's another unfermentable story, I guess. Dwarner came to spring training with the Mets in 2009, but he was released during spring training uh, with the Mets citing his lack of progress since his injuries as the reason for his release. Uh, he signed a minor league contract with the San Diego Padres and made 12 appearances with them in the 2009 season, which were the last of his major league career. Uh, he tried to stick around baseball for a few more years, playing in a Canadian league in 2009, uh, the Mexican league in 2010, and his final season of baseball in 2011 involved nine games for the Long Island Ducks of the Independent Atlantic League. For his career, Duaner Sanchez recorded a record of 19-11 and 11 with eight saves. All of those saves came with the Dodgers, although he was 10-2 and two, 
with the Mets as far as a one-loss record. Uh, e thirty-three winning percentage, very nice for as a Met. You recorded a four point one zero ERA through two hundred ninety-eight and two-thirds major league innings and struck out two hundred ten batters. You recorded a one point seven WAR according to Baseball Reference over his major league career. As a Met, as I said, he was ten and two, three point four eight ERA, and a zero point six B WAR, zero point seven of that in the two thousand six season. And I'm not surprised that the advanced metrics are a little low. Uh, Sanchez, even at his best, was uh, you know he never had the best strikeout to walk ratio. Actually, over his career, he walked 126 and struck out 214. Uh, he always outpitched uh, his his ERA was 4.10 for his career. As I said, his FIP was 4.53. Uh, for his career, his ERA plus was a just above league average 103, and he recorded a 1.4 whip over his career. Uh, he lived and died, mostly lived, especially in 2006, with the real power sinker. He induced a lot of ground balls and you know recorded a lot of double plays and really, really impressively limited hard contact uh, from what I remember in 2006. He had that great sinking fastball, and he increased his changeup usage when he got to the Mets in 2006 from like 17% to 23%, according to fan graphs. And as I said, he in 2006, he got induced ground balls over 50% of the time and allowed hard contact only 22% of the time, which really speaks to my memory. I always preferred hard-throwing strikeout relievers, even before I knew what all these advanced metrics were, yet I still felt quite confident with Dwaner out there in 2006, even if he wasn't that overpowering, blow-you-away strikeout reliever. And before 2006, and especially since, it's been pretty rare for me to, uh, I think for any of us, to feel confident when a Met reliever comes into the game. So for that, Dwaner is certainly very unformidable to me. Uh, one final, he, uh, he actually is still involved in baseball. He currently works as an anchor and an analyst for Spox, for, for Fox Desportes, and he's active on Twitter at Dwaner Sanchez. And do you remember him fondly as a Met, and I wish I had fonder, fonder memories of him through the entire 2006 season and beyond. Uh, and I, I'm sad for him and for us that uh, that shoulder in- injury really short-circuited his career. I'll be back next week with a happier recap from the Mets postseason history, I promise you. But thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for all of your Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us a review. It really helps. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and one last time, because this team was so lovable and really deserves it, and I'll be thinking it all off season, and I kind of can't wait till 2020. Let's go Mets.